If you have your Bibles, please open to Exodus chapter 20. If you're using the Pewback Bible, that's page 57. Exodus chapter 20, and tonight we are focused on verses 8 through 11. But we will, as we have been doing, read 1 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, And do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers and the flowers fade. You may be seated. Our God and our Father, as we come to your word this evening, we pray, O Lord, that you will open our eyes to see its truth, that we will know what it is that you have called us to do, and that we will see your grace and your mercy as they are poured out upon us, even in these, your commandments. O Lord, bless us now, we pray. Speak, for your servants are listening. For we pray it in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. How many of you have ever seen the movie Crocodile Dundee? Okay, a handful of you. Uh, For those of you who haven't, or for those of you who haven't seen it in a while, the movie is about this Australian outdoorsman and safari leader named Dundee, nicknamed Crocodile for his numerous run-ins with various crocs. And this reporter from New York who comes to see what this safari thing and, and what this guy is all about. So the reporter, she, the reporter, uh, and Crocodile Dundee decide to take a short safari. And there's this really funny scene when they begin the safari. They, they row up to the bank of the lake in this small boat, and Crocodile Dundee's assistant gets off the boat and holds it steady as he helps the reporter lady off. And as she's looking around, Dundee gets off, and he grabs his assistant's wrist and looks at his watch before walking up by the reporter putting his arm around her shoulder, looking up at the sun and telling her exactly what time it is. Attempting to impress her, and it does work. But this scene is 
extravagant as it is, reminds us that there were and are people who could at one point in time tell you almost to the minute what time of day it is just by looking at the position of the sun. And in fact, for centuries, we've kept track of our months and our years by the movements of the sun and the stars and the sky. And fascinating as those things are, fascinating as it is to, to understand the movements of the creation that God has made and the time it helps us to track, perhaps the most fascinating part of it all is that there is no astronomical measurement for the span of a week. There is nothing that we can look at in nature or in the creation that will give us a, a basis, a, a reason to come up with the idea of one week, seven days. There's nothing except for the words of Scripture. And tonight as we come to the fourth commandment, the commandment that informs us of how it is that we are to spend our week as a whole, but most importantly, how it is that we're to spend that one day in seven, it's as we look at this commandment tonight that I want us to see two things. The same format we've looked at in previous weeks, we'll look at two things. First, the commandment itself, and secondly, the reason for the commandment. The commandment itself and the reason for the commandment. First of all, the command itself. We read here in verses 8 through 11, uh, or 8 through, uh, excuse me, 8 through 10 of Exodus chapter 20, the commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you'll labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord uh, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. This is the command that we are given here in Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment. And there's a number of implications in these words, implications that I want to draw your attention to. Three things that I'll note here. First and most simply, this commandment tells us that we are not to work on the Sabbath day. We're not to work on the Sabbath day. We're to spend the day in the worship of God. It's in this sense that the fourth commandment concerns when we worship. We looked first at who we worship. We looked secondly at how we worship. We looked thirdly at in whose name we worship. And now as we come to the fourth and final commandment in this first table of the law, we see when it is that we are to worship. Most simply, we are to set aside the seventh day as a day of worship, dedicated to God and to God alone. Just as he will not share his worship with another, he will not share his day of worship with anything else. And for this reason, we are commanded to do all our work in six days and to devote the seventh day to the Lord our God. While we do and should serve the Lord every single day of the week, we should worship him every single day of the week, we should glorify him every single day of the week, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is according to the scriptures, to be set aside for the particular and direct worship of God alone. As we're going to see in a moment, the reason for this commandment is the pattern that God sets in his own working and resting, a six and one pattern. Now, some have used this, this pattern that we see in the creation narrative of God working six days and resting on the seventh, as well as what we're told here in Exodus chapter 20, to argue against the New Testament churches worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week, rather than Saturday, the seventh day of the week. 
After all, they argue, Scripture is clear that it is the seventh day that is the Sabbath to the Lord, so why do we not worship Him then? Why are we worshiping on the first day? This is worth our conversation here for a moment. There's a couple of reasons for this. First, we worship on the first day of the week because that is the day that Christ rose from the dead. It's the day that Christ rose from the grave. When we come to worship, we come to worship the resurrected Christ in whom we have the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. This is well evidenced by the words of Luke in the book of Acts as he records the practice of the early church. This is what he says in Acts 20. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Here, Luke's recording Paul's teaching and preaching on this day as the believers gathered to worship, and of course, the young man falls asleep in the window and falls out of the window and dies and then is resurrected, and there's this great miracle that Paul performs. But Luke treats this as a normal occurrence of the early church, that they met on the first day of the week the day that Christ rose to worship Him, to hear teaching and preaching and to fellowship with one another, to break bread. More evidence lies in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Here Paul is giving instructions for the collection for Jerusalem so that when he comes by, he can take the money and take it to the church that has need of it. And he tells them, do it on the first day of the week when you gather together. The Apostle John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Revelation 1.10. The early church, both from the New Testament and then alongside it, history, is, bears testimony to the fact that they met on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, to worship Christ rather than the seventh. Now, in further response to those who would argue that we ought to meet and to worship, to, to, uh, to follow the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, let me say that there is no significance to the day beyond the significance that God gives to it. In fact, this command here in Exodus 20, we're actually not sure if it's counting the seventh day of the week beginning from the Exodus or going all the way back to Genesis when God rested on the seventh day. It's unclear what the reference point is. So perhaps this is not even the seventh day as it uh, mirrored the seventh day that God rested on. It's not the day that is connected to, uh, there's no difference, no, no specialness about the day itself other than the distinction that God gives to it. So then the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is to be observed even as the Jewish Sabbath was to be observed in the Old Testament. We observe it, yes, on the first day of the week, but it is still the Sabbath day where we come and we worship. This leads us to another question. How is this commandment to be observed? Matthew Henry notes that it ought to be observed in two ways. First, as a day set aside from all labors, a day of rest. And secondly, as a holy day. And you see that right there in the text. Notice what he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he goes on in verse 9 and 10 to say, do all your work on six and on the seventh day, rest from all your labors. It is to be a day of rest, a day without labor, and it is to be a holy day. 
Put in another way, the Sabbath is concerned, this commandment, the Sabbath commandment is concerned with our worship and with our work. So how does it concern our worship? Well, the Westminster Divines note in the Westminster Shorter Catechism on how it is that the Sabbath is to be sanctified. They say that the whole day is to be spent in the public and private exercises of worship. The argument that they make and, and that becomes clear from the Scriptures is that we are to, to spend the entirety of our Sabbath day worshiping God, both publicly and privately. The Sabbath calls us to public worship. We are to come together, to fellowship with one another, to spend time amongst the saints, praising and worshiping God as a congregation, as a group of people. This was the practice of the early church. We already saw this, that they were gathered together on the first day of the week. When they came together on the first day of the week, this was when they gathered. They were together with one another, praising and worshiping God. But we can even see this practice in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 23 points to the Sabbath day as a day of holy convocation or a holy gathering. It was to be set aside for the people to come, to gather, and to worship God. Jesus further proves this point when Luke records in Luke chapter 4, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Jesus himself, as he practices the perfect keeping of this commandment, gathers with the people of the land in the synagogues to read the word of God and to teach the word of God. The Sabbath day is to be a day of public worship. Now, we'll talk about the implications of this more broadly in a moment, but suffice it to say for now, we must be careful to gather for public worship. This is what is required of us in this commandment. Not only are we called to public worship, but we're also called to private worship. Not only should the Sabbath be spent gathered together with believers, coming together to worship, but the time before, the time in between, and the time after these services, after this gathering, should be spent in intentional worship private worship. We should not do those things which we do for the rest of the week, but should spend time, the time that we have, in rest, in prayer, in meditation, in all actions that bring praise to the glory of God. We should avoid such things as distract us from the point of the day, that is, things that distract us from the worship of God. This is how the day is to be spent, in worship. The day is also to be spent as a rest from all of our labors, a rest from our work. The implications of practicing private worship serve as a foundation that, uh, for the prohibitions of this fourth commandment. We are to worship, and because we are to worship, and because we're to spend the day in worship, we ought not to work. We can't do both things. We can't both gather and worship God and spend our, our, our restful time worshiping God while also being concerned with the labors and the jobs that we have to do. Once more, we can see the parallels here in, in our work and in, in how they relate to this commandment as both the, our public work and our private work. We're not to participate in our public work. That is, um, this much is usually obvious to most Christians. We shouldn't work jobs that require us to, to work on the Lord's Day, the day of rest. We should do everything in our power to avoid the normative practices of our daily jobs on the Lord's Day. Now, there are some exceptions to this, which I'll come to in a moment, but, but generally speaking, in almost every circumstance, we should be careful to avoid working our jobs on the Sabbath day. 
But not only should we avoid working our jobs, our, our regular day-to-day, nine-to-five jobs, we should also avoid doing those private works, those private things that we need to do outside of our, our nine-to-five. We shouldn't mow the lawn. We shouldn't vacuum the house. We shouldn't do the dishes, fold the laundry. We should avoid work that, uh, uh, that our time may be spent both privately with ourselves as well as with our families and with the church in the worship and glorification of God. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, there are some exceptions to this. The Westminster Divines continue and on sanctifying the Sabbath day. They say, after spending the whole time in public and private exercises of God's worship, they give an exception. They say, except so much as to be taken up in the works of necessity and of mercy. Works of necessity and of mercy. There are, in some circumstances, jobs that require our working on the Sabbath day. These jobs are commonly called works of mercy. Some examples of this might include doctors working in a hospital, a police officer defending against evil, the pastor preaching or teaching, or the individual jump-starting the dead battery on their only transportation that they have to come to worship. These are works that, that cannot stop or cannot wait lest people die, suffer or die. And thus, they are acts of mercy. These Christ permits, giving multiple examples, all the way from plucking grain as, walk, as he's walking through the field to pulling the ox out of the ditch to healing on the Sabbath day. Works of mercy are acceptable on this day of rest and on this day of worship. But let me say this. Even though these works are permitted on the Sabbath day, they're still not ideal to do on the Sabbath. They're works of necessity for a reason. Necessity doesn't care about the ideal. But you are far better served, if possible, if you can spend the entirety of the day in rest and in worship. It doesn't mean you're sinning if you have to do a work of necessity. But if it can at all be avoided, you are far better off. This is what the commandment calls us to. But let me take a moment here and consider a couple practical applications of this. First question I'll ask is what must you do? What must you do? What is the bare minimum that has to be done according to this commandment, according to the Scriptures? Attend public worship. Full stop. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. There are no exceptions. Attend public worship. This is absolutely clear from Scripture. The author of Hebrews makes this command clear in chapter 10 when he writes, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This commandment requires that we attend and practice the public worship of God. This is an absolute necessity. There are no exceptions for tiredness, for business, for travel, etc. We must attend the gathering of believers. This is the basic requirement of the commandment. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, most instances, most of the times where we're tempted to miss church are simply our own disobedience. Rarely are we hindered from the public gathering of God's people beyond the hindrance of our own sinful flesh. But what are the exceptions? What are the outliers here? The two most common uh, excuses, and I will call them excuses, are usually traveling and sickness. 
What should you do if you're traveling or if you're sick? Well, when you're traveling, find a church. Plan your trip around the Lord's Day, not the Lord's Day around your trip. What do you think is more important, your vacation or God's command? Plan in advance. Visit another believing church. Participate in their worship. Gather with them. Serve God together. Enjoy fellowship with believers who you otherwise would not get to meet or not get to see. But don't neglect the gathering of public worship on the Lord's Day. What about when you're sick? Often when we're sick, it's, it's prudent to avoid infecting those around you, especially those elderly members of the congregation who are perhaps as, uh, not as well equipped to handle sickness as you might be. And I think this can be qualified as a work of mercy. You, out of a genuine desire for the good of your brothers and sisters, choose not to attend that they might not get sick. But your obligation doesn't end there, especially with modern technology. Even when sick, even when unable to attend in person, you should make every effort to watch the service online, and not just to watch it as if you were watching a TV show, but to sing the hymns, to confess the creeds, to pray, to listen and follow along to the preaching of the Word of God that he may bless your works of necessity and mercy. This is what we must do. Second practical question here, what can you do? Well, we've seen already what we ought to do, and in every possible instance, we should avoid working on the Sabbath. But what does that look like in terms of the actions that we do take? What is it that we can do? What doesn't count as work? I'm not going to offer an exhaustive list here. You'll always be able to come up with something that's not on my list, but I will make a couple of observations here. First thing is that we ought not do anything that causes another person to work. Look at the commandment again. We're not only to not work for ourselves, but we're to avoid such actions as require others to work for us. Verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. We should avoid any actions, any things that require others to work for us. This includes things like going out to eat, Sunday lunch after the morning service, going to the grocery store, getting gas, so on and so forth. We should, whenever possible, plan in such a way as to avoid these things. Our temptation is going to be to say, well, they're working anyway. I might as well do something that makes the day easier on me. But think about this. What if everyone stopped going to the grocery store on Sunday? Would they be working? Absolutely not. If even all Christians stopped going out to eat on Sunday... Would the stores stay open? Maybe, but maybe not. But whether they do or don't is not the concern of you, the individual. You must be first and foremost concerned with your own obedience. This is what we can do. Second thing about what we can do, or the second note about what we can do, we should can and should spend the day doing those things which bring glory to God and don't distract us from who He is and what He has done. So to give you an example, a negative example, we ought not watch a movie on Sunday. Sunday afternoon, don't go home from church, don't sit on the couch and put on a movie. Why? It's 
simply because it is impossible in that situation to keep your mind focused on the things of God. You are going to necessarily, by the very nature of the thing you are doing, be distracted from who God is and what God is doing. You're going to be distracted from thinking on the things of God, from focusing on how it is that He has blessed you and how He has called you out of your sin and into His grace. And and you're going to be distracted from reflecting on the sermon that you've heard that morning. You're going to be distracted. On the flip side, we can do things like go and play in the yard with our kids. It provides opportunity to remind and teach them of the beauty of God's creation and the wonder that is the family as God has designed it. But even in this, we should be careful. Careful to consider who we do all things for and not to become distracted from the worship and glory of God. At the end of the day, The application of this commandment is an issue of faith. It's an issue of faith. You're perfectly content to trust God with your time when it comes to making money or fixing up the house or doing whatever it is that you do, but you're not so quick to trust Him when it comes to your Sunday afternoon. You're willing to give God 10% of your money and trust Him to use it, but you're not willing to give Him your time and trust Him to use that. At the end of the day, we can make all the excuses in the world. We can come up with as many exceptions as possible to this commandment. But at the end of the day, are they anything other than excuses? To give a further example, we have no reservations about the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. Nobody goes about saying, well, in this case, murder's okay. In this instance, murder's okay. If we won't do that about the sixth commandment, Why are we going to do it about the fourth commandment? The commandment that comes before the sixth. The commandment that is concerned with our worship of God. Why are we going to to justify away our actions on that commandment, but not something like the sixth commandment? It is just as binding on the believer today as it was when it was given. Do you trust the Lord with your Sabbath? Secondly, this evening, and I'll be brief. Let's discuss for a moment the reason for the command. The reason for this commandment is somewhat different than the first few, although not entirely unique to the commands as a whole. If you remember commandments two and three, the reasons attached to them are negative reasons. For example, God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The the reasons for commandment two and three are the wrath and judgment of God for your disobedience to his law, for his wrath and his judgment on your sin. However, Now, in both this commandment and in the next commandment, the fifth commandment, we're given positive reasons for obedience, positive reasons why we should obey and observe God's word here. In this one, we see the pattern that God sets, the pattern of working six days and resting on the seventh, something that Christ expounds as a positive thing for mankind. He notes in Mark chapter 2, or this is what Mark writes in Mark chapter 2, and he said to them, Christ said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Why should you keep the Sabbath day? Because it is good for you. The prophet Isaiah, in commenting on Israel's disobedience and idolatry, says to them, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasures, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Even as he condemns Israel for their disobedience of this commandment, for their turning from God's law and doing what they wanted to do, what they found to be pleasurable on his holy day, he says, if you'll turn from that and you will obey God's commandments, then you will receive the blessings of God. The reasoning is clear. The Sabbath is good for those who keep it. We see a similar thing in the fifth commandment, that we will be blessed by God for keeping the commandment. And while we might reasonably summarize all of these reasons, both the reasons given in 2 and 3, as well as the reasons in 4 and 5, as for your own good, there is here still a qualitative and tonal difference in the reasons for this commandment as opposed to 2 and 3. Why should we keep this commandment? Because it is for our good. It's for your good. Interestingly enough, this uh, idea of resting one day in seven has even been backed up by secular science. Studies have repeatedly shown that a person who takes a day of rest is more productive and more energized the other six days of the week than the person who works the same amount of hours but spreads those hours out over seven days. This commandment is good for God's people. We need rest. We need time to come and to worship God corporately with one another and individually and privately. We need the Sabbath day. The second reason for the command is really more of a bonus. At least it's more of a benefit than a reason. And that is this. The commandment evidences for us the reality of a literal six-day creation. As the Reverend Vodi Bakum points out, it wouldn't have taken long for the ancient peoples to figure out the length of a day. It's pretty easy. The sun rises and the sun sets. And even though they would have tracked the length of a day from sunrise to sunrise or from sunset to sunset, uh, sunset to sunset, as was the Jewish tradition, it wouldn't have taken them long. They, they quickly figured out the length of a day. It didn't take them much, long, uh, much longer than that to, to find out or to come up with the concept of a month. And then the concept of a year following, as we mentioned before, the stars in the sky and the, the, the travel of the earth around the sun and the different positions of the sun in the sky. They could figure all of these things out just by looking at the various solar evidences that, that demonstrated those time periods. But there is nothing, no time period, no pattern of the sun or stars that demonstrate for us seven days, a seven-day week. The fact that we understand what a seven-day week is, the fact that we have it even to this day, comes from this very commandment, a commandment established in the Garden of Eden, a pattern established for us in the Garden of Eden. Six days you shall work, and the seventh you shall rest, because this is what the Lord your God did. God is the pattern setter. And what this does for us is it evidences the fact that God's creation was a literal six-day creation. It was a literal six-day creation. If it wasn't, the, the command would read something like, six periods of time you shall rest, or you shall work, followed by an equal seventh period of time on which you shall rest. But it doesn't say that. The, the idea of a week, the foundation of this commandment, is based upon God's creation in the space of six days and His resting on the seventh. So where do we go from here? I want to encourage you tonight, if you're someone who regularly misses church for the sake of other events, for the sake of naps, for the sake of entertainment, let it not happen again. I don't think that's probably many of you, given that you're here on a Sunday night, so good job. But if it is, 
Don't let it happen again. Devote yourself to the community of God, to the body of Christ, the church. If you're someone who devotes your Sunday afternoon to to watching football or other TV shows or movies, let this be the last week. Instead, devote your time to things that point you to Christ. Read, reflect, meditate upon Him, upon who He is and upon what He has done. If you're someone who goes out to eat on a Sunday afternoon because it's what you've always done, let this be the last Sunday. Instead, invite people to your home after worship. If you don't want to cook, don't feel like cooking, aren't comfortable cooking, go buy some frozen pizzas on Saturday and heat them up in the oven. But spend the time in fellowship with other believers, talking about the things of God, reflecting on His work in your life, reflecting on the sermon that you've heard that morning. Enjoy the Sabbath as it was meant to be enjoyed because it is for your good. It's for your own sake that you might rest and grow in Christ, your Savior and your Lord. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this commandment. We thank you for all of the commandments, even as each and every one of them reveals to us the nature of your character and that which is best for us. O Lord, help us to meditate upon these words, to look at your command and to know its truth. Father, help us to follow it. Let us not be dismissive of it. Let us not do our own thing, chase after our own desires on this day, but rather to spend the day reflecting on and worshiping you for glorying in who you are and of what you have done for us, your people. Father, be with us, we pray. For we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.